Um, you know, this world defines greatness as like the quality of excellence and or like achievement of some extraordinary like measure. Like for example, uh, excuse me, because uh, I'm kind of, you know, I, I follow like tennis. Uh, there is this one uh, well-known uh, tennis player, Rafael Nadal, and he just won his 14th French Open. And uh, for those of us who are not as familiar with uh, the tennis, that's, uh, that's an amazing achievement, right? Uh, before, like, uh, there's this big three, like, uh, you guys may have heard of, like, uh, Roger Federer, uh, Novak Djokovic, and uh, Rafael Nadal. Uh, before these guys came onto the scene, the greatest before that was considered Pete Sampras. Uh, he's from America, and so, like, he was really well-loved uh, loved, uh, tennis, and he was considered the greatest of all time at the time, back in the 90s, and he won 14. Like, there are four major majors, uh, and throughout his uh, career, he won 14, and that was the highest that anybody could ever had, right? So people were saying, man, there is nobody who's going to be just greater than, greater than Pete Sampras. But here, there's this uh, Nadal, right? Just in one major uh, open, French Open, he won 14. Just, uh, just in that one uh, in a tournament, he won 14 times when vast majority of the people would never even come close to winning one. Just in that, so the people are saying he's the greatest, right? And so when we talk about the greatness, right, it usually it's defined by something that when you achieve something that is just incredible, spectacular. People aspire to greatness. Now we were just kind of talking about, so why we are still talking about tennis a little bit. Like, so some of us are playing tennis these days, here and there. And um, some of us were playing uh, this past week, um, and we played in a court where there's no light. So as we were kind of playing towards the end of the day, uh, so we're like when it kind of got dark, we were like, okay, we can't really see the balls anymore. Let's just stop. Then there was um, June and Sungbin. They were just they kept playing. I was like, man, how are you? Yo, you, you can't you can't really see the ball. It's just getting too dark. And June go, no, I wanna I wanna go to like. Wimbledon, I want to play at Wimbledon, right? And I was like, I mean, of course he was joking, but, but he, that's his aspiration, because he wanted to, you know, like, I mean, just even making it to Wimbledon, I mean, that is an amazing achievement, right? Just even just being able to go there, right? People aspire to greatness. Nations aspire to greatness. I mean, when you watch some sports, like especially like college sports, um, and when the, the, the camera crew, when they are uh, turning uh, during the, the break in the play and things, when they turn to, turn to the fans, right, especially the people from their own school, you know, guess what they usually do? They put up the, we are number one, we are number one, right? We are number one. Everybody says, it, even they may be still losing or whatever, they say, we are number one. I've never yet to see some college, you know, the fans, when the, uh, the, the camera is on them, the national audience is on them, we say, we are number two, we are number three, right? Nobody ever does that. Everybody says, even though they know that their team stinks, say, we are number one, right? What is greatness? Today's passage contains what many consider to be the most important verse of Mark, verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, 
but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It also tells us what biblical greatness is all about. So let's go right into it. The first point is greatness desired. Greatness desired. The Gospels record that Jesus' disciples made it no secret to size each other up, right? Each other to figure out who was the greatest among them. Of the 12, who was the greatest? Actually, in the previous chapter, uh, in chapter 9, we find Jesus asking his disciples what they were discussing on the road. But they kept quiet because they were arguing about who was the greatest. If you go to like chapter 9, verse 33 and 34, Josh, you have that, right? And they came to Capernaum, and when, they was in, uh, when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent for on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. They were arguing about it, right? You see, like, especially men, I'm talking about males, right? Men by nature, we are competitive, right? We tend to kind of pit uh, ourselves against uh, each other, and we kind of see, like, who can come out on top. That's why, like, in sports, people can get, get really, like, competitive. Or it doesn't have to be sports. If you're not very good at sports, you can be competitive in other things, maybe when you're playing games, like me, right? Uh, or, like, even when it comes to, like, career, we kind of just kind of size each other. And so, like, who's got a better paying job? Or who's, who's you know, uh, has a higher promotion? Who's making, who's making it big in this society? We kind of compare, uh, we kind of just, yeah, we, we do that. We just measure each other, right? And we spend time debating who's the, who's the GOAT, the greatest of all time in sports. Or even sometimes it's politics. We just constantly argue about things. I remember like uh, many, many years ago, I, I happened to be hanging out with my college buddies and um, you know, just like any typical like Koreans at that time, most of these guys were pre-meds and all of them made it to be the medical doctors, right? So here I was like eight or seven, eight of us and I was the only one who, is not a, uh, who was not a doctor, right? And everybody else was a doctor. I mean, they were making good money, right? Um, and then all of a sudden, just many years ago when, uh, the Obamacare, you know, was first became law. And somehow the topic, because we're all, we're really chill and we just have a lot of fun. But then once the topic came up, somehow it was, it was came up. And then all of a sudden we were really chill and just like drinking coffee and tea and whatever, just having a good time. All of a sudden the, the, the tone of our conversation just changed. Because it just so happened about half of them were for it and half of them were like, man, that's like, you know, this is like a garbage, you know? So out of nowhere, we, we've been hanging out and we, we went to each other's like barbecues and all these things. And all of a sudden it just turned into such a really intense argument about, you know, uh, the validity of, of Obamacare, right? And we're just debating. I was like, yo guys, this is comic. Cause you know, I had no, you know, I didn't really, I wasn't as you know, invested in it. So it was like, hey, we have to just calm down. But, Whew, that, was, that was a really fierce um, argument. So you can only imagine that these 20, 30-some-year-old men arguing passionately. And apparently, there was no consensus to anyone's surprise, right? They couldn't really settle it. And this has been an ongoing thing. 
right? Throughout their, uh, throughout, uh, it was an ongoing thing. So can you, you could just kind of picture Peter kind of just making a case for himself. Hey, I am like the closest, and because I am closest to Jesus, I am the greatest. I am better than you all, right? Maybe James and John were also kind of making a case for themselves too. Even I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if like Judas Iscariot would make a case. I mean, who would, you know, just uh, because he was entrusted with uh, taking care of money, right? It's like, I mean, of course, Jesus trusts me. That's why I take care of, you know, the finances, right? So I am better than you guys, right? I am more important than you guys, right? So in this chapter, James and John, after, this is really interesting, after Jesus shares with them, Right. What was going to happen to him as they were on their way to Jerusalem for the last time? Right. After he shares that, and then James and John, right, these brothers, somehow slip past the rest of the gang and approach Jesus with a special request. Apparently, they lacked no confidence whatsoever. Right. They wanted special recognition and seemed to think that Jesus should agree with their thinking, right? In verse 35, and James and John uh, came up to him and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory, right? I mean, boy, talk about, just, uh, just kind of think about the, the tone of, I mean, obviously, when we are reading it, we can't really recognize it, but just imagine the tone of their voice. Jesus, I'll, we want you to listen and grant our request. I'm gonna, we're going to, in your glory, one of us will sit in your right hand, the other on your left side, right? And I think we deserve this because we are great. Based on their perception, their understanding of their own greatness, because they've been fighting, they've been arguing with other people, and they're like, we're just so sick and tired of this, right? Like these guys, they, they don't see that how great we are. So we're going to go straight to, uh, to the person that can just settle this all. So they go to Jesus and say, hey, are we the greatest of these uh, 12? So one of us should sit on your right and the other on your left. To disciples, Jesus was their ticket to relevance. They were basically nobodies. They are not from Jerusalem. Uh, you know, the Jerusalem was at that time the religious, political, and cultural center of the Jewish people. And they were, they were from like Galilee, just out in the boondock somewhere. Their occupation and education background didn't really exactly stand out. It's not like they were really raised in a you know, some you know, famous, like, you know, rabbi, under famous rabbi or anything like that. They were just regular folks living their ordinary lives without much ambition. Nothing in them would give them any aspiration for something special. That out of nowhere, this sensational rabbi named Jesus comes along. And to their utter amazement, he makes them his disciples, and everywhere they go, right, he performs many miracles, and he gets this rock star treatment. Anywhere they go, there is a huge following. And the fact that they were in his inner circle propelled them to think about their status, right, their significance. 
Now we are somebody. Because everybody is looking to, I mean, everybody's trying to get in. But oh, we have this holy huddle of 12 of us. We have to protect Jesus and make sure that we get our share when he comes in his glory. Man, we long for significance. Usually, like, it's a, uh, it's a generally, generally, not, not an absolute statement. But man, we as men, we long for significance. And I think that's why work is a very important aspect of our life. Like we really care about our work, right? Because we want to make sure that we matter. Like what we do matters in this world. Women tend to long for uh, security, right? They want secure, financial security. They want to make sure that their plans that they have are set in place. They want to make sure uh, that their children, if they have, have them, will make sure that they would have a secure uh, you know, future and all these things. But men usually really long for significance because we want to know what we do matters in this world. James and John, along with other unsuspecting disciples, thought that as they were on their way to Jerusalem, they thought that Jesus would finally establish his kingdom in Jerusalem, basically driving out the godless Roman foreign you know, occupation force. It's almost kind of think of like the situation in Ukraine as the Russians have invaded them like the Ukraines, as they are kind of still like, you know, being in the fierce battle, that all of a sudden there's this charismatic leader that comes along, this powerful military uh, person that will just rally everybody, all the troops around, and they're just trying to, their goal is to drive out Russians, right? And they believed that these disciples believed that Jesus would wow the crowd in Jerusalem, with a lot of miracles and free food, and lead the insurrection. So when that happens, when he's in, he's in glory, uh, as James and John said, the brothers ask that he put them in prominent positions. Basically, they are saying that they are greater than the rest of the guys. So that's why we should sit on your right and left, right? We should be your closest uh, confidants. Because we are better than these guys. We are able. We are very capable. We are better than these guys. We will help you, Jesus. Now, the 10 were no better. Because in verse 41, and when the, and when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. They were, when they heard it about the request of uh, James and John, they were indignant. When are you guys indignant? When you think that it's just not, it's not right. You know, when you, when you heard about the school shooting and also the aftermath, right, of the police response, you know, I mean, you know, since my wife is a, a teacher, it really hits me even more. It's, it gets like, I was like so infuriated, right? when I heard all these things. And some of the suggestions that, yeah, we should arm all the teachers. I'm like, what are you guys talking about? I, I mean, like, I, sometimes I just get, in, 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 I get really upset and, in, in, well, indignant, right? When things are not right, right, that's when you get indignant. The disciples felt disgusted because the brothers basically beat them to, to, to asking Jesus. They were all thinking it. But they didn't really uh, say, oh, man, 
It's, I, should have been, you know, we, I should have been the one that should have just approached Jesus first and asked for that prominent position. But these guys beat me to it. Oh, I'm so upset. How dare they? Because in my eyes, I am way better than these guys. James and John, yeah, they're, they're good for nothing, right? I am better than they. They were indignant. What I wonder is, am I that different from these guys, these disciples? Are we that different? Don't we tell the Lord, Jesus, I want you to, uh, I want you to do for me whatever I ask, whatever we ask, I want you to do. Jesus, hey, I want a girlfriend. I'm kind of lonely here. Please give me a girlfriend. Jesus, I'm lonely. I want to get married. Jesus, I want a promotion. I deserve this. I worked hard for this. I have to have the promotion. Jesus, I need a better paying job. We ask these things. And we expect Jesus to answer our prayers. And the Lord says, you don't know what you are asking. And then to that, we reply, yeah, we do. Just like James and John. Are you able to drink the cup, the cup of suffering? So yeah, of course. We, we, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. It's no big deal. Truth be told, isn't it God's grace that he did not grant our requests every single time? I don't know about you, but I am glad by his mercy that he did not answer every single one of my prayer requests. Because I know now, as I look back, there were plenty of my prayers that I asked Jesus to do for me. It really came from my own selfishness. When I was praying for, yeah, like a girlfriend when I was single. I need, I need, I need somebody, right? I need, I need to get married, Jesus. Like, I, I, need, I need this. I need to get into this school. I need to get this job. Or all these things. A lot of times, it really came from my own desire for comfort, convenience. Because I just wanted to be convenient. I wanted, I wanted to be seen as somebody who was significant by other people. You know, Proverbs 16.2, we were just doing this on a Tuesday, and it really struck me. It says, uh, all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. I was like, oh, and it just, it just cut me to the heart. Because in, in my own estimation, everything that I've planned, everything that I think, I think about, it seems right to me. It makes sense. It's logical. It's reasonable. So I should, right? It's right that I ask for these things. It only makes sense to me, Jesus. So please listen to my prayers and answer my prayers because it is right and it is pure in my eyes. Hey, you know, my motive? No, it's good. But the Lord weighs the spirit. What's truly behind what we are even asking, what we are thinking, what we are about to do, what is your motivation? What is your motive? What is your thought process like? You know, if I'm really honest, if God answered everything, whatever that I have asked in the past, man, I would be one entitled 
self-sufficient scrub, right? I mean, really, like, if, if I, everything that I wanted, I'm just getting it from, from the Lord, right? Man, that would have really stoked my like, pride like no other. I would be one proud person, right? Unanswered prayers often reveal our character and sometimes true motive. Do we get bitter and resentful when our prayers are not answered in the manner that we ask? If we do get resentful, then it very well shows that we may use God as, an, as a means to an end because we want it, there's something I really want to get. But to get that, I have to go through God. I have to pray, and i got to ask, and he should grant me whatever that I ask. We see the human tendency to become great. We desire and aspire to greatness. But then, what is greatness? How should should it be defined? Is it what this world says it is? Or what, what we think or what we want it to be? We turn to this passage, which tells us what true greatness is. So the second point is greatness defined. Verse 43 but it, shall, uh, but it shall not be so among you. Verse 42, Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers uh, of the Gentile, Gentiles lord it over them, and their uh, great ones exercise authority over them. And so that is the definition of greatness by this world. If you, have authority, if you are great, the great ones will exercise authority over you. He, they will rule over you. And that's the way it was. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Notice Jesus does not condemn the desire itself. The desire to be great. He doesn't condemn it. It is only natural for us to desire greatness. He doesn't say, how dare you desire greatness? That is wrong. You better repent. That's not what he says. What he does is he purifies or redefines the definition from God's perspective, the definition of greatness. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And here's where the great reversal takes place. The world's definition of greatness gets completely turned upside down when Jesus has come. But the sharp contrast still rages on, right? The world's definition versus the biblical definition. The the slogan for uh, Trump when he was running for president was make America great again. What he's really saying is we have to really firm up America because of the, all the liberals, right? The, the America was not great again. But now we have to bring it back up to greatness as this great nation, right? We have to make sure that they establish like stronger and more powerful weapons and military system, military, right? We have to upgrade all the, the weapon system, right? We have to do all these things. That's the definition of greatness that this world talks about. 
serving others for the glory of God is the biblical definition of greatness. What we think is great, what we think is greatness is, it doesn't matter in the eyes of God. What matters is what God thinks, what, consider, what God considers great. What makes one great in the eyes of the Lord happens when we serve other people for his glory. That's how he defines it. May we dare not alter it for our own sake. So do you know how to find out if you are being a, if you are being a servant? See how you react when you are treated like one. Then that will tell you kind of what kind of heart you have if you're really being a servant. And I had a really stinging reminder about this. So many, many, uh, many years ago, I was speaking. I was uh, invited, and I was speaking uh, at a retreat. And this was like a church plant, and there, was, um, there weren't as many people, but um, like 15, 20 people. And then, so they rented a, a beach house right, uh, on the, the Outer Banks. So we all went there. Uh, for, and so for three days, I, I spoke, right? Um, had a great time. I thought it was like a great time to just get to know people there and, and all these things. And then and afterwards, because uh, uh, the pastor, uh, the church planter was a friend of mine. And so we had a, I thought we had a great time. And afterwards, I think they did a, the, uh, the evaluation, kind of the feedback of how the retreat went and, and those things. Um, I didn't know about it, but then uh, when I met up with him afterwards, he just gave me one feedback. From, from some of the feedback that they, he got from his church people. And there was that, like, the speaker, this yours truly, was not really helping out with uh, doing the dishes or making food, right? So basically, it's a beach house, so, uh, you know, they didn't go out and, yeah, there's just a lot of people. So they, they were making food, cooking food, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? And it was true, because in my mind, I am serving God by speaking to them. Right? So that's my service to you. Right? So in my mind, I said, why should I be involved in making food or cleaning food? That's your job. It's not for me. Right? I'm, I'm the speaker. Right? I deliver God's message. So why should I be involved in menial tasks like that? Right? Um, I think if there were more like Koreans, maybe they may have, but you know, there were more like Chinese people. Right? Um, and so... Um, and so if, when I first got that feedback, my initial reaction was like, how dare they, right? I mean, how dare they have that kind of reaction? I mean, how, that kind of feedback. I am, I am God's servant. I, I'm, the, you know, I'm the herald of God. You know, like uh, I went there to serve God by speaking to them, and this is what I get for, for my service. Then I realized, wait a minute. So should I have had that kind of mindset? Is this the right uh, reaction that I should have? Because <laughs> interestingly enough, I, I think I, I, I don't remember exactly what I talked about. I think I'm sure I did talk about serving, right? Uh, and here I was as a speaker who was talking about serving other people and sitting there and just kind of lounging around, playing video games or just kind of doing whatever, right? That's when I realized, okay, I wasn't being a servant. I was talking about serving, but I was being a servant. What kind of uh, example is that. What is your ambition for yourself and family? Is it biblical greatness? 
or whatever that you aspire to, what you want for yourself and for your family? Is it more important than serving other people? Does it take priority over serving others? If yes, then you need to reevaluate your definition of greatness in your life. Because your definition of greatness is not consistent with what God says is great, uh, the greatness. Watch out for idolizing sports athletes or some famous people. Because the more we marvel at their accomplishments or the more we adore them, that that will become our definition of greatness. Excuse me, because if, if, uh, I, I, recently I've just been getting into like soccer. And if you say, oh, and I just talk about like with some of the guys in the back, like, did you see how Son Heung Min, right? He's like a really, it's like a world-class like soccer player, right? Do you see like how he scored goals? Man, I wish I got into like soccer early in my life, right? So I have a chance at becoming a world-class athlete like him. I want to be great. Or we can say, I adore Kamala Harris, who overcame prejudices as a woman and as a, an ethnic minority and became powerful woman, most powerful woman in the world. I want to be just like her. She's my role model. Who do you admire and why? Watch out how you define greatness in your life and in the life of people around you. In this self-serving, self-exalting world, are you pursuing greatness as God has defined it? Are you serving others for his glory? Are you serving in the church? Or are you just becoming a blasé, right, about, about serving? Pastor Wujin, I've heard it so many times. You and Pastor Jay, that's all you guys talk about, serving, serving, serving. I'm just so sick of that. It's just coming out of my ears, right? Are you, you know, but really, like, what is your, you know, like, mindset? And the last point is greatness demonstrated. I think it's one thing to talk about greatness, but it is an entirely, entirely different matter to be, to be great. Biblical greatness can only come from following the example of Christ and made possible only by his sacrifice. I mean, this is the third time that Jesus put his disciples aside and told them what was going to happen to him in Jerusalem. And yet, after three years of following Jesus, seeing all these things, seeing all his you know, messages, hearing all that he has said, they were arguing about who's the greatest on their way to Jerusalem. Once again, they had a selective hearing. All in their mind is, we're gonna, you know, Jesus is going to become king in Jerusalem, and because, if he does that, then one of us will be like the prime minister, another of us will be like, you know, being a cabinet member, so we're going to be great. Little did they know that this was his last trip. He was resolved to go through with the cross. So unlike what they were expecting, their definition of greatness was completely turned upside down by what Christ has done. It all culminates in verse 45 when he says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom 
for many. Jesus specifically used the term ransom. It is not a familiar term for us, but for original audience, it was a familiar term. It's referring to the price paid to liberate a slave or a condemned or a POW, right? That is the term that they use for ransom. And when Jesus says, the Son of Man has come to pay and give himself as a ransom for many, the emphasis really is on our miserable state because we are utterly dominated by sin that needed divine rescue and deliverance. We desperately needed saving act. And Jesus being given as a ransom, it reveals our spiritual plight and the bondage to sin. We were, we are enslaved by our sin. We just don't know it, but we are slaves apart from Christ. And it shows that God has paid the price. God himself has paid the price for our sins. And through the great sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have been set free from the power of sin. Jesus didn't simply talk about paying for it, but he actually went, went to the cross, laid down his life. He's the author of life. He has the power and authority to give life and take away life. And as the author of life, he voluntarily laid down his own life. It's not that the, the Romans took his life. He laid down his life for us so that he can pay for our sins, that he may be given as a ransom for many of us. That is true greatness. God laying down his life for his creation. James and John, so confident here, great in their own eyes, were transformed by the sacrifice of Christ. You know, James became the first disciple to be martyred of all the 12. He was the first one to be martyred. John, banished to, the, uh, the, to the, the island of Patmos, wrote. This is what he wrote in verse, uh, 1 John 3.16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And this is what he says. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. You see the change? Only a few, uh, a few years before, uh, before he wrote in, in, in this passage, James and John say, hey, Jesus, based on our own greatness, we think we are really pretty good, and we are better than these guys, so we want you to grant our request. We, we deserve to be in your sit, sit on your right and your left. We deserve it. We are better than these guys. We are greater than these guys. To people who are martyred, to people who say we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Do you see the change? How did it come about? Because through the sacrifice and the greatness demonstrated by our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you claim to know Jesus? Do you say, oh yeah, I know Jesus. If you say so, then follow his example. Seek true greatness. Let's pray.
Let's go before the Lord.